Hi, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today, we're going to talk about how to use the five love languages to win at all of your relationships, romantic, family, friends, and work. We're officially in February, which is well known as the month of love. Whether or not you buy into the Valentine's Day hype, it's a nice time to acknowledge and celebrate the people you care about in all the spheres of your life. That includes people you work with, your family and friends, and of course, your romantic partners too. One helpful framework to use when talking about ways to improve relationships is the five love languages. This is a concept introduced in the 1992 book written by Gary Chapman. In his original book, he outlines ways that romantic partners express and experience love. Many of you may have heard of this in passing or even read the book yourselves. What I like about Gary's approach is that it is easy to understand and there are many creative ways to apply his ideas, and it isn't limited to just your romances. Let me give you a quick overview of the five love languages now, and we'll be delving into this more deeply throughout the episode as we talk about fresh ways to apply these ideas to your life. I'll also tackle all of your relationship questions from romantic love to friendships to family relationships and even your collegial relationships at work. According to Gary, the five ways to express and experience love and care are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Everyone is thought to have a primary and secondary love language. Does anything jump out at you right away just by hearing those titles? Your love language tells you your preferences of how you like to be appreciated and cared for by others. As we generally lead from what we know, this also means that we often show our care for others using our own primary love languages. But sometimes we get frustrated or disappointed when our friends and family don't respond the way we want them to. Here's an example. A partner's primary love language is receiving gifts, so they tend to shower their partner with gifts too. Whenever a special occasion rolls around, they buy their partner trinkets or little gifts in an attempt to show them that they care. However, their partner's primary love language is actually quality time. So instead of the gifts, they actually highly prefer spending time with their partner without any gifts whatsoever. In their mind, it is worth so much more if they just sit down together and have a meal without distractions at home. So sometimes they seem like they don't appreciate the gifts as much from their partner, and that causes some confusion and even resentment or arguments. As you're listening to this, you might have picked up on the core issue in this example, which is communication mishaps. In fact, the most common issue by far in all types of relationships, romantic or otherwise, is communication. When people come to see me at my private practice, the most common complaints are that they don't feel heard by their partners. They don't feel that they can be truly honest. Sometimes arguments erupt because people expect their partners to be mind readers, or they get defensive and don't really listen when they feel attacked. Does this feel familiar? Oftentimes, pride can get in the way, and when people feel really stressed, they may shut down, refuse to talk, and disengage, which, in my opinion, is the major nail in the coffin for a relationship. It's the same phenomenon at work. 
When people ask for my consult for professional teams, the main issue at hand is usually around how to communicate expectations to colleagues and how to motivate and incentivize employees for higher productivity and work-life satisfaction. Sometimes team leaders' ideas for how to boost company morale doesn't quite translate to every member of the team. And communication mishaps are also at the center of these types of problems. It makes absolute sense why communication struggles are often the root of most relationship conflicts. And here's where the five love languages can be a helpful framework for you. We all express and feel love differently, and understanding those differences can seriously benefit your relationships. In fact, it's one of the simplest ways to improve it. Knowing what's important to you and others is key. It helps you to be more empathetic during conflict and identify why you're having an argument in the first place. And when you can see the problem more clearly through the other person's eyes, you will be able to resolve it faster and more easily. It's also a great way to know how to show appreciation for another person in ways that they will mean the most to them. And that strengthens the relationship because others will see you as thoughtful to their wants and needs. And this is why I'm so excited to offer a fresh look at Chapman's ideas of the five love languages and show you how they can transform your relationships. But first, how do you even know what someone's love language is? Chapman says that people tend to naturally give love in the ways that they prefer to receive love. So with this in mind, there are three main ways to discover another person's love language. First is to observe the way they express love to others. Second is to analyze what they complain about most often. And third, pay attention to what they request from others most often. And once you know what their love language is, you can then show them you care in a way that feels best to them. It's truly magic. While Gary's work was tailored mostly to romantic couplings, over the years, I have found that some of these principles can be easily applied to all other relationships in your life too, in valuable and helpful ways. We know how important strong relationships are to your health and wellness. As important as it is to know your own preferred love language, it may be even more important to know that of your closest friends and family members, the people you regularly work with, and of course, spouse or partner if you're in a romantic relationship. Once you have a better understanding of how people feel the most loved, your relationships can change for the better as it takes the burden out of guessing what makes them feel special. So get ready to dig in with me to learn better communication tools and get more satisfaction and fulfillment out of all the relationships in your life. First, let's review what the five love languages are and how people apply them and pay attention and see if you can identify your primary and secondary love languages. The first type of love language is words of affirmation. People with words of affirmation value verbal acknowledgments of affection, including compliments, words of appreciation, verbal encouragement, and often frequent digital communication like texting and social media engagement throughout the day. The second type of love language is quality time. People whose love language is quality time feel the most adored when their loved ones actively want to spend time with them and gives them undivided attention without the distraction of TV, social media, phone screens, or other outside distractions. They particularly love when active listening, eye contact, and full presence are prioritized hallmarks in their relationships. They love to have meaningful conversations or share meaningful recreational activities. 
The third type of love language is acts of service. If your love language is acts of service, you value when people go out of their way to make your life easier. You believe actions speak louder than words. Instead of being told that you are appreciated, you want to be shown how you're appreciated. It's things like bringing you soup when you're sick, making your coffee for you in the morning, or picking up groceries for you when you've had a busy day at work. Doing the smaller and bigger chores to make their lives easier or more comfortable is highly cherished by these individuals. The fourth type of love language is receiving gifts. People whose love language is receiving gifts feels most cared for when their loved ones gives them visual symbols of love. It's not about the monetary value, but the symbolic thought behind the item. People with this style recognize and value the gift-giving process and how much you are on their mind when they plan a gift. They also value the tangible aspect of gifts. They care about your thoughtful reflection, the deliberate choosing of the object to represent the relationship and to honor the person's likes and dislikes, as well as the emotional benefits from receiving the present, opening it, being surprised, and all of those lovely things that come with receiving a gift. And finally, the fifth love language is physical touch. People with physical touch as their love language feels loved when they receive physical signs of affection and other nonverbal signs of care. In romantic relationships, physical intimacy and touch can be incredibly affirming and serves as a powerful emotional connector for people with this love language. In friendships, this can be as simple as holding their hand during a difficult or special moment or giving them a pat on the back for a job well done. The roots go back to our childhood when kids express and receive love when they're held by their parents. And similarly, they value the feeling of warmth and comfort that comes with these interactions as an adult. So have you identified your primary and secondary love languages? Usually something will jump out at you as you're hearing these descriptions, and it tends to feel pretty intuitive for people. And now with that in mind, I'm tackling all of your relationship questions today. So let's visit with my fab team, producer Stephanie and sound engineer Jackson. Hi, guys. Hey, Dr. Judy. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy month of love, guys. (laughs) Happy month of love to you. I got to tell you, I'm not a huge fan of Valentine's Day and all it's come to represent. But I do like this idea of taking this month out to thoughtfully consider the people you care about in your life. So that's what I'm going to go with. (laughs) I think that's a great idea. And I feel like Valentine's Day gets really focused on uh, just the romantic love. So it's nice to spread it around, regardless of whether you're in a romantic relationship or not. Agreed. (laughs) Yes. I remember all those years when I was single and around Valentine's Day, everybody's asking what you're going to be doing. And it was just annoying and stressful. And so we're not going to do that. We're just going to honor the people that we care about in our lives, romantic or not. And if you don't have a special someone right now, you can just think about how to care and cherish those people who are still important to you in other ways. Mm -hmm. That sounds perfect. So Stephanie, what's our first listener question? Great. So the first question is from Betsy from Facebook. I lead a small team at work. How can I learn what my team's likes and dislikes are and how to motivate them to be more productive and feel appreciated? 
Love this question. And I love that we're starting right off the bat with a different way to apply the love languages, not to romantic relationships, but to work. And one of the best ways to discover how other people prefer to be acknowledged and recognized is to practice what I call experimentation and observation. So for example, if you have the opportunity to take your staff out for a little socially distanced get together, or when things ease up, a one-on-one lunch once a month, Observe the impact of your gestures. Do they respond positively to this? Or are they thinking this is just an annoying thing I have to do because my boss is telling me that we have to do it? Or do they genuinely seem happier that they have this time to connect with you? After such a gesture and a get-together, do you notice an uptick in their productivity at work? The fact that they may be more willing to go to the bat for you? Did they then pass on the gesture by doing something kind for a coworker as well? All of these different things are indications at how effective this method of appreciation is. And this type of appreciation kind of spans both quality time and also provides a opportunity for words of affirmation. And so by watching people's responses to nice things that you do for them, you can start to understand your work team's different love languages and how they can all work together. And while the ultimate goal of any kind of performance improvement program is to improve both the health and the productivity of your organization, it's helpful to challenge yourself to create an environment where employees feel appreciated and valued. And so just by watching them and watching their responses, that's one step. But another step is just to ask them. What is something that would incentivize you? What is something that you'd be excited to do and to add to your schedule that would provide a little bit more fun and give you more motivation? And people who are team leaders would be surprised that when they ask their team this question, not only does it elicit a positive response because everybody likes to feel like their ideas are appreciated and welcomed, But also that in itself shows how much you respect them and already they'll step up because they feel that mutual respect coming from you first. So good luck with that. And what a great question to start off. Yeah, I love that one. I love the fact that it can go so much deeper than just a love romantic relationship. And Marty on Twitter asks, can I use the love languages with my children in thinking about how to reinforce their positive behaviors? Definitely really fun way to apply it to children and how to motivate your children is particularly with younger kids. As a cognitive behaviorist, we're always talking about how can we reinforce a child to do more positive behaviors and hopefully later on to generalize this so that once you stop giving the quote unquote gifts and prizes that they'll still do it. And this is where the five love languages can really help because oftentimes people will set up these things like sticker charts and then, you know, people maybe get money for doing something nice or uh, they get more time with an iPad and all of those things are great. But eventually you have to sort of do these nice things. You have to do your chores, do your laundry, save money. All of these things don't come with these rewards that feel more tangible, but they're more just like social rewards because people appreciate you for doing them. Also, it's part of being an adult and being responsible. And a a lot of times parents have a hard time transitioning from that place of we were using a sticker chart 
And now where do we go from there so that they'll still keep doing these behaviors when I'm not following them around with a sticker chart when they're 15? So this is where the five love languages are great because five love languages are very much what we call social rewards. They are things that are naturalistic rewards, things that you would see in the real environment in your daily life. And so it's helpful to engage your children in these conversations, bring them into the picture. Hey, it's really important that you do your chores. We're going to try to cultivate this positive practice for you, but I want to find something that will help motivate you to do it. So you can invite them to, for example, take the five love languages quiz that's available on Gary Chapman's website, or you can just tell them what the five love languages are, explaining them in developmentally appropriate terms so that they can easily understand, and then ask them to give you a few examples of suggestions of things that they might find rewarding. And as you start to learn more about your children's preferences, you'll be able to know what their primary love language is, and then be able to socially reinforce them in that way. So if your kid particularly responds to words of affirmation, for example, it's really about just verbally praising them and noticing when they're doing something that you want them to do. If your child really prefers the quality time, it might be helpful to combine something that they have to do with quality time with you. Like, okay, let's do the chores together. And I think as you, again, utilize this in various different ways, you'll find more creative ways to apply these things to your children as well even as they grow. That's great. And I'm actually doing that right now. So that was really helpful oh. with my eight-year-old, like doing the chore chart and then trying to figure out what's motivating to him, what makes him want to do them, what gets him excited to check things off and learning that the combination of time spent together and a gift or a toy, like those two things together is like the most motivating to him. So that was really helpful. Thank you for that. Fun. Um, Great. So the next question is from Tommy on Facebook. Uh, Tommy says, my girlfriend is very loving with her words and clearly we are both dedicated in this relationship, but she has also had this odd thing about not wanting to be touched all the time. Example, she kind of has to be in the mood to cuddle, but my main love language is physical touch. Whoops. How do I help our relationship grow and not become resentful? What a great question, Tommy. And I think that people will realize that the love languages of most couplings are not the same. And it's not necessary that they are the same for you to have a successful relationship. And Tommy and everybody listening might be interested to know that there was a recent study that shows that the most important predictor of satisfaction in a relationship is actually the partner's commitment to one another, that you believe that they're going to be there through thick and thin. And that actually outweighs other factors like the feeling of moment to moment passion or the feeling that they're being extremely emotionally supportive today or this month, that it's really about this feeling that people are dedicated and committed to their relationship. So it sounds like that ingredient's already there for this relationship. Now, physical touch can be really controversial for people who don't really like to hug or don't really like to touch. Now, I'm a hugger, and even with people who I meet uh, maybe just once or twice, I might be inclined to hug them. And then you can kind of tell, even with friends, sometimes it's too much for them too early, you know? And obviously in a romantic relationship, that definitely plays a role in how you create intimacy. And it's good to know, Tommy, that just like with all the other love languages, it doesn't have to be grandiose, big shows of physical affection. You and your partner can feel love from just a light touch where you touch them on the hand or they touch you on the hand, maybe holding hands when you're in public, uh, giving them a brief hug as opposed to this long hour cuddle. And when you're sitting together watching TV, it's okay just to maybe sit close to them so that you're lightly touching so that they know you're there 
but instead of being on top of each other the whole time, there is still that element of physical touch that can be honored. And so I think really it's about negotiating where the comfort zone is for you and your girlfriend and also communicating to her. I know that sometimes you're not in the mood to hug, but even when we sit together on the couch, even if you're just lightly touching my hand, or even if our shoulders are grazing one another's, we're sitting very close together, that would be great for me. And I think if she is so dedicated to the relationship as you guys both are, she will make those changes and make you feel more comfortable and cherished too. Jackson, what's our next question? Millie on Facebook asks, do I have to find someone who has the same love language as me? In general, would that lead to a more successful and harmonious relationship? This is a great question and totally continues the concept of Tommy's question. Because again, sometimes people get worried when their love languages don't match up. And that's okay. Most of the times they don't. And this is about understanding one another better. And this framework is used to help improve communication, not just to be carbon copies of one another. This is like asking whether you have to have the same personality as your partner. It's much more important that you're aligned on values rather than your traits or preferences of how to express and receive love. So there was a really interesting study that found that love language alignment is actually not really a strong predictor of relationship satisfaction. It's more important that you're able to know this information and then regulate your own behaviors according to your partner's wants and needs to show them how much you appreciate them. So I would argue that you can be any love language in the world. Your partner can be a totally different love language. And as long as you guys communicate and have a mutual understanding, your relationship can work very well. Great. Okay. So that's good news for a lot of people, I'm sure. <laughs> so Rudy on Instagram, my sister told me that her love language is acts of service, but I already feel like our family coddles her and does everything for her. She's the baby of the family and I kind of want her to grow up. So I don't want to be manipulated into doing everything for her, but how can I respect her love language and improve our relationship? What a great question. And isn't it so funny that even as adults, you still carry these sort of familial relationships with you that if you have a younger sibling, there's just an inclination that maybe you over caretake them. And sometimes that does build resentment over time because you're thinking, well, this is a fully formed adult. Why do I have to do everything for them? And so this is important that this particular love language of acts of service can sometimes be misconstrued as giving in to somebody or having to do everything for them. But if someone in your family, whether it's you or your child or your spouse has this love language that is primarily acts of service, it doesn't mean that you don't want to cultivate their independence. And it also doesn't mean that you have to do everything for them. It just also means though, that that's how they generally would show love to other people. And that's a way in which you can honor their love language. So for example, Rudy's sister might show love to him and the rest of the family by doing your chores for you, even though it wasn't their responsibility to. Or maybe they might run an errand for you, bring home dinner on a night when they can tell that you're tired and didn't want to cook or prepare food. And just in general, doing positive things for you that you didn't actually ask for but they just felt like they wanted to do it for you. So when we get love and give love to somebody whose main love language is acts of service, there's a couple of ways to work this. And one way is to just truly appreciate what they are doing for you and tell them that. Tell them how much you appreciate them going out of the way to do a chore for you. Even if in your mind you're thinking, well, it was just a tiny chore, who cares? Remember that if that's their primary love language, then their general inclination is to express their love for you that way. So really make a 
bigger show of acknowledging that and showing that gratitude. And then when you feel like it, so that it doesn't build resentment, but when you feel like it, do those small things for them. They do not have to be grand gestures. They do not have to be everything. But even the little tiny things, people with the love language of acts of service notice all of the tiny things that you do. So hopefully that helps the people who are thinking about that out there. Great. I love that advice. Um, So Tamara on Facebook asks, I would love to finally get that promotion this year. Is there a way to use the five love languages with my boss to improve our relationship and my chances on being on his list for the next big opportunity? Definitely. Great goal, Tamara. And I think the first order of business is to find out your boss's love language and then work accordingly. So for example, if you find out that your boss's love language is acts of service, then be the first to volunteer for committees. And if your boss's love language is quality time, then ask them to meet one-on-one to discuss your goals and also to have that time with them so they can get to know you. If their love language is words of affirmation, then tell your boss when they've made a difference for you. Tell them when their guidance has helped you to do a better job on a project. And again, in general, just utilize all of these different tools once you think you know what their love language is and then observe their responses. And the more positive the response, the more you're on the right track. And I think getting that time to really know your boss's preferences is going to go a long way, not only in getting the promotion, but also in working well after the promotion, being able to be a real partner for this boss and letting them know that they can really rely on you. All the time, I've spoken to people who are in leadership positions and they always feel like they're taking care of everybody else and no one is thinking about what they want. And so when you just flip the script and show more attention and gratitude for them, that can go a really long way in cultivating a great long-term relationship. Great. Okay. Chris on Instagram, is there a way to use love languages in the aftermath of an argument or to smooth over conflict? Oh, this is a great one because people, after they get into an argument, it's very easy to just kind of want to withdraw and be by yourself. And then sometimes that causes some of the anger and misunderstandings to go on for longer. So a great way to extend the olive branch is after an argument to think about that person's preferred love language and do something small for them that honors that love language. So if there is somebody who has a love language that's physical touch and they're a friend or romantic partner, afterwards, even when you're apologizing to them for the conflict, even just a light touch on the hand, that goes a long way for individuals who have the physical touch as their primary love language. Or If their love language is active service, doing something for them that takes something off of their plate, takes something off of their to-do list. And that doesn't even have to accompany any words. When somebody has an acts of service as a love language, they don't need you to spell it out for them. They just need to see the action. And I think that that's a great way to try to smooth things over after a conflict that you put your pride aside and think about what the other person might want. I think sometimes when we're fighting and having argument, our hubris and our ego gets in the way and you're thinking about how hurt you are and it's harder for you to be empathetic. So I think that this is a really practical way to be empathetic to somebody after an argument. 
Great. So this next question, I think, relates a little bit to what Tamara and Betsy were asking. And I love it because it relates more to the fact that this goes so much deeper than a love connection. And it's based on the human interaction more so. But Brian on Instagram asks, I like to get right down to business, but my business partner definitely seems like they have a little bit more time to chat and settle in before getting straight to the agenda. I'm a bit type A, so I get impatient with this. But what are some things that we can do to meet in the middle? This is a great question. And I think that a lot of people can relate to this. In general, when I'm in a business meeting, I like to get straight to the agenda too. And I start to watch my clock a little bit when I see that we've run over the time that we've set aside for a certain meeting. So I totally understand Brian, but I also have a lot of coworkers who really just want to settle into a meeting. They kind of want to chat for a little bit, joke about some things, ask each other what they did over the weekend. And that can cause a little bit of irritation in the work environment. So in this case, Brian's partner clearly seems to value quality time a bit more. And one thing to remind yourself, even if you're type A and you're very goal-oriented, is that the secret to workplace productivity and happiness might be the quality of workplace relationships. And that is where all of these things like motivation and positivity and joy experience while you're at work and all of those types of things that translate into great productivity and great outcomes It's really about starting with the person. You're going to get the most out of people if you can honor the collegial relationship in the way that your work partners want. There's a study at Fierce Incorporated. They surveyed over a thousand individuals to gain insight into the impact of relationships between coworkers. And they found that nearly three quarters of everyone surveyed consider two or more coworker friends. And they also said that the most productive employees and work groups tended to say that they had a best friend at work. So clearly, cultivating friendships is a important pathway to making the workplace productive and happy for everyone. So in this situation, to have more quality time with your work partner, but maybe not spending an exorbitant amount of time on it, maybe just consider things like Yes, give them those few minutes to warm up into a meeting, but doing things outside of the meetings to cultivate the relationship. That way you're actually more relaxed and you're not thinking about the work agenda. So this could be playing a round of socially distanced golf. This could be, you know, just setting some time aside to connect and to get to know them, calling them out of the blue just to say how, ask them how they're doing and not having it be about work because that's one way you can honor that quality time for this person. And remember when you do have a meeting because their preference is to have a couple of warm up questions like how was your weekend? How are the kids before going down to business? What you should know is that you should just go ahead and in your mind set aside that time at the top of your agenda. So for example, if you thought that agenda item one was gonna take 10 minutes, just schedule it for 20 because you know that you're gonna need a few minutes before that of warm up time for your partner. And that way it'll reduce the irritation that you feel and you'll still be able to manage your time well as a type A person who likes to have everything scheduled to the minute. And again, totally understand this, such a relatable question. And I really hope that this helps you. That was so much fun, guys. And I felt like we got a lot of variety of different questions. And hopefully this has given you some ideas on how to apply the five love languages in different and fresh ways that are not just tied to romantic relationships. 
And I think one of the things that's most important to think about is what the primary message is here for the five love languages. I think, again, people were thinking maybe in a more narrow way that the five love languages should really only deal with intimacy and intimate relationships. But the real deal is just to improve all relationships overall. And to do so, we need to commit to thoughtful observation of other people's wants, needs, and preferences, and then modify our own behaviors to show them that we care in a way that's meaningful to them. As I mentioned, the love languages are a helpful framework. There's been research that shows that it can improve relationships, but I think that what actually drives that improvement can get a bit lost. For example, people often trot out their self-identified love languages as shorthand to indicate how they behave in relationships in the same casual and convenient way they might refer to their astrological sign or their Myers-Briggs type or their Enneagram or whatever it may be. And recently, I read an advice article about how the love languages theory got so popular. And the author actually used zodiac terminology to talk about her love language, identifying herself as an acts of service with the words of affirmation rising to talk about her primary and secondary love languages. But I think the caveat is when we talk about love languages in this more self-focused way, that's kind of different from what Gary Chapman seems to have intended. I think Chapman's primary and consistent message is to use the framework to learn other people's languages and then utilize this knowledge to honor what other people care about. So the real value of love languages as a relationship tool might be getting diluted a bit. And so it's helpful to remember the key. The key is that the combination of attentiveness plus behavioral change is a worthwhile formula. When you take the focus off of yourself, other people will respond in kind. They'll take your lead and begin to honor and respect your preferences and find ways to do so, especially if they genuinely care about a better relationship with you too. So as we think of ways to apply love languages in your life, here are some other supercharged tips to add to your relationship toolbox so that you can power up your relationships and garner real satisfaction in all the domains of your life. The first tip is to be inquisitive, take notes, then act. So ask questions about the people that you care about in your life. Ask what they like, ask what their values are, ask about their experiences and most cherished memories, notice what lights them up, and then utilizing that information, do something similar for them. They will truly appreciate the thoughtfulness that you took to get to know them better and to do something that they really enjoy. The second tip is to leave pride at the door and try to understand others' drives first. This is not about your own hubris or ego, and while it's important to know your own love languages because you want to be able to communicate them well, it's more important that you use that as a basis and a jumping off point to understand what other people's love languages are. Somebody has to extend the olive branch first and be the bigger person. So next time when you're tempted to act out of ego or defensiveness, ask yourself, what might drive this person to do or say this? In essence, put yourself in their shoes and try to think like them so that you can problem solve effectively. Sometimes we think that people are annoying us on purpose, irritating us on purpose. Most of the times it's just because they haven't thought about the things that are truly important to you. 
So take that step first. Do that the next time you find yourself irritated by somebody or in the middle of a conflict and see how much your relationships will improve as a result. The third tip is to use bridging statements instead of universal labels. So this is a big one, and we talk about this a lot in therapy. De-emphasize the problem of the person and resist the idea to label them. Don't say things like, you are lazy. Instead, focus on the issue in the conflict, like the dishes aren't getting done. Then bring in we language to bridge the gap and invite brainstorming as a team. For example, what should we do about it? Oftentimes people make that mistake of labeling somebody as always and never and using some kind of derogatory term to describe their problems. But the issue with that is the person who is hearing that on the other side is immediately taking a defensive stance. They can't even hear the rest of what you have to say. So at that point, even if you try to back up and you say, well, I don't mean that you're always lazy. I just mean that the dishes aren't getting done and that's stressing me out. They're not hearing that anymore. They're not hearing, oh, you made a mistake in the first time that you've talked about it. Or, oh, you're stressed. Well, no wonder why this is irritating you. Once they hear you are blank, they've already shut down. So this is really important that we start to focus on the issue and then bring in the we language to invite teamwork. The fourth tip is to ask for feedback. This is something that I think we should all do more of and not be shy about it. So don't be shy to ask your friends and loved ones if they'd like something that you did. That's the only way you'll get information about how to better tailor your actions the next time. So my husband is a very direct communicator and I really appreciate that about him. We're both this way. And he actually never hesitates to give me feedback even when I don't ask for it. <laughs> but that helps our relationship overall to progress more quickly. And I can say now more than ever, we have a very deep understanding of what each other's likes and dislikes are, even if we don't always agree on them. And one of my best friends tells me when she's exchanging or returning something that I gave her, I mean, obviously I include the gift receipt for a reason so that she can do that, but she actually makes it known to me. She'll say, thanks for the gift. That was very thoughtful, but I'm not really going to use it. So I'm going to return it. And then I'm going to take a photo of what I got instead. And thank you again. And honestly, I don't mind because this way I know if she keeps something, she definitely loves it and will put it to good use. Plus I learn from what she exchanges the original gift for. I learn more about what she likes and needs and I get better at my gift giving for her too. So I love it when people ask for feedback. I love receiving feedback, even if in the beginning it feels a little jarring, really don't be afraid to go for it. And the fifth tip is to be true to yourself. Modifying your behaviors is not about changing who you are. All it is is that it conveys respect, thoughtfulness, and caring for someone else's traits and preferences. Just like you wouldn't ask for other people to change for you, don't change for other people because that's not going to feel good and eventually cause resentment. Remember, you don't have to have the same love language to have successful relationships with people. So be authentic and flexible in your relationships. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that one of my favorite therapeutic concepts to talk about is psychological flexibility. Using the five love languages as a framework for relationship enhancement is just a reminder for us to remain flexible to others and make room for differences instead of being fixed and tied to our own ways. And research has shown time and time again that high openness to new experiences and information and lower rigidity are robust and strong predictors of great relationships and deeper social connections in all the domains of your life. 
Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like the show and want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho. And remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends. And take a moment to leave a review. It'll mean so much to me. Today, I want to shout out a listener who wrote such a nice review for me. And her review is titled Hooked. And she says, I just listened to Dr. Judy's first episode and I'm hooked. I love it. She's engaging, knowledgeable, funny, and most of all, relatable. I feel like I was sitting at the table just getting to know her better. I like that she shared about her personal life and also talked about tips to transform my life. It made me feel like I got to know her better. And it also made me look even more forward to upcoming episodes. Love the supercharged tips and can't wait for the next episode, highly recommend. Thank you so much for that lovely, lovely review. And please do write me a review when you get a chance and I'll shout you out on a future episode. I'm Dr. Judy and remember, anytime is a great time to supercharge your life. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical, psychological, or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For medical, psychological, or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician, a psychologist, or other trained professional. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.